0: Open your Bibles to the epistle of 1 John. While you're doing that, I say thank you for being here. You could have been somewhere else. Probably somebody else since Tracy announced this morning who was speaking. But I'm glad that you're here and appreciate the elders giving me time to study with you tonight. I'd like to look at some of the instructions from this aged apostle that we have here. It's generally accepted that the Apostle John wrote this book. He's now an old man, having spent three years physically and uh, walking and talking with Jesus himself back in his younger days. And he writes instructions of having seen and heard the Christ. We're going to read starting in verse one, and notice the use of the words we and us versus the word you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life? And the life was revealed, and have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write that you, our joy, may be made complete. We can spend a lot of time analyzing these verses, but I want to point out one thought. In verse three, John is writing that you too can have fellowship. With the apostles that's the us and in doing this the fellowship we have will be with the father and Jesus Christ his son so John has fellowship the apostles have fellowship and he's writing so that we too can have that fellowship the meaning of the Greek word that's used for fellowship here is a close relationship a harmonious association harmonious association or partners like in sharing the gospel so let's follow this fellowship idea into the next verses starting in verse five this is the message that we have heard from him announced to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all if we say we have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness we lie and do not practice the truth But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God is light. And where there's light, there cannot be darkness. We can't say we're in fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness. Rather, we walk in the light because the blood of his son has cleansed our sins. Now the fellowship point in verse 7. But if we walk in the light... As he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. Keep this idea of fellowship with one another. Remember the definition, a close relationship, a harmonious association. Keep this in mind, and in a minute we'll move into the main part of the lesson. But first, two more quick points. Look at verse 8. Where it says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We need to realize that our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, and thus our fellowship with one another, is broken by sin. So I want us to think about individual sin, our individual sin, and how that individual sin breaks our fellowship with God and breaks our fellowship with one another. And the second introductory point here then is from chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And the point here is very simply, there are commandments to keep. Some will argue that the old law was the law of commandments, and now we're under a law of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And that's true, but we also serve a king who has given us commandments that we must follow in order to please him. So it's very similar when we say we don't sin and the truth is not in us. The same is said of keeping his commandments. We don't keep his commandments. The truth is not in us, verse 4. So let me try to summarize what we said thus far with one little paragraph from one of the commentators. He says, as he did in this gospel, John stated with clarity the purpose of his first letter. He proclaimed the good news about Jesus to his recipients of this letter, saying, so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. John later added, so you may not sin. And so you may know that you have eternal life. John wanted his readers to experience true fellowship with God and with God's people. But he knew that would not happen until Christians set aside their own selfish desires in favor of the pursuits of God. Ken Wehlever, some of you may remember that name when I send out some of these emails that I do with articles to read. Ken is always the one that signs it. Ken Wehlever, the preacher man. Ken was speaking at the lectures last month at the Southside Congregation in Pasadena, Texas. He was speaking on the subject of accepting one another. He used an example, and I'll try to, Change the example where it fits Eastside a little better. The example was if there were 201 adult members here at Eastside, then there are 200 times 200, that's 40,000, relationships to be maintained, fellowship with one another, associations with one another. Now, some of you math majors say, wait a minute, you're doubling up here. Well, not really. Brad has a relationship with me. Brad has a relationship with all 200 other people here. He's building that relationship, but I may not be working on my relationship with Brad. It's a two-way street, so it makes 200 times 200. All of us have to be working together to get that fellowship going. All 201 of us working on the other 200 relationships that we have, and that's where we get the 40,000 relationships. A lot going on. He also illustrated it like this. There's a poem. Woman's called. Who flies the kite? Who flies the kite? I said the boy. It's my toy. I fly the kite. Who flies the kite? I said the wind. It's my whim. I fly the kite. Who flies the kite? I said the string. It's my thing. I fly the kite. Who flies the kite? I said the tail. I make it sail. I fly the kite. Who flies the kite? All were wrong, and all were right. It takes all of us to fly the kite. Who flies the kite at East Side? Steve, the shepherds, the deacons, the class teachers, the men, the women. No, it takes all of us. All of us working in this harmonious fellowship together to make East Side what it would have to be. So, in the main part of our lesson now, I want you to look in First uh, John, what the apostle tells us love one another. We'll see that phrase over and over. So as we do this, our definition of fellowship will be across the bottom of the screen. Glass at it as we proceed and keep it in mind. First someone's gonna ask, do we have a fellowship or a love one another problem here at Eastside?" I don't know. I do believe that if anyone here had a major problem of some kind, major catastrophe, that everyone here would rally around that person, of brothers and sisters, and help in any way possible, even with just prayers. And I know this because I spoke to Jean in specific ask, her. I used them as an example of the tragedy they had. And she said, people on each side were absolutely wonderful, as were other Christians from other places. So I know that part's true. But I'm more concerned, if that's the right word, about our daily or weekly true Deep, caring, one for another. Do I just walk by others and not speak? Do you ask, how are you? And simply as a greeting, or do I, do I really care when I ask, how are you? Do I ask the people around me in my little group, or am I concerned about the brother across the building? He has a problem. Maybe there's someone here I just really not, don't even want to speak to. I want you to think about the little things. Some of you are really, really good at caring. Some maybe like me could do a little bit better. So let's look at these exhortations. They the command, some of them will be, from 1 John. I'll be reading from the New American Standard and there's one difference I'm calling your attention. Usually in New King James where it says brothers, New American Standard, it's gonna say brothers and sisters. So we'll be reading that way tonight. Starting in verse John, chapter 2, verse 8. John says, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light, yet hates his brother or sister, is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother and sister remains in the light, and there's nothing in him to cause stumbling. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in darkness and walks in the darkness And does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This new commandment in verse 8 that John's mentioned is most certainly what we read back in John chapter 13 verse 34. Where Jesus said a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. That you love one another. He was speaking to the apostles which would include John on that night before his betrayal. It's hardly possible that John was thinking about Anything else uh, when he says this here? uh, We know this commandment, love one another as I have loved you. That's the new part that was teaching in John 13. Maybe we could call it a renew on our part, that we need to renew our hearts to love like Jesus loves us. John draws a contrast here between light and darkness. Christians are the children of light. We walk in the light. But let us love our brother, lest we become children of darkness and walk in the darkness. 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And Paul tells us in Romans 13, verse 12, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. In verse 9, the one who says he is in the light. Look back in chapter 1 at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him. Verse 8 in chapter 1. If we say we have no sin. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned. Again in chapter 2 in verse 9. If we say we're in the light. We can say it. But no, we're not. We're not in the light if we hate our brother. You may say things like this. And yet deny them with our actions does the word hate here mean that you intend to do your brother some kind of physical harm or do him evil i don't know it's contrasted with love jesus used the word hate in luke 14 26 if one, anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother we often say in that verse that it means love less that we have to love father and mother less than what we love jesus so, maybe we could apply that same principle here and verse 9 and say, Do I love my brother less than I should? Whatever this degree of hate I have, love less, I'm in darkness. Look at verse 11. I'm in darkness, I'm blinded, I don't know where I'm going. And contrast that with verse 10, where it says, I love my brother, and I'm in the light. And there's no cause to stumble. Now, chapter 3, verse 10. We start off this with another comparison. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother and sister. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning... That we're to love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And for what reason did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. In our last section, we had a contrast between the children of light and children of darkness. We open this section then with another comparison, the children of God and children of the devil, verse 10. The New American Standard said it's obvious which a person is. New King James uses the word is manifest or is made known. Something is going to be obvious what a person is, a child of God or a child of the devil. So what is it? Well, under consideration of this text, It's, do I love my brother? That puts me in a child of God or a child of the devil. Kaufman in his commentary says this is the only place in the New Testament where these two expressions stand side by side, child of God or child of the devil. And they correspond perfectly with the grand cleavage, the dividing, the separating, the meat cleaver, they, sit, they stand perfectly with the grand cleavage of humanity into two and only two classes the wheat and the chaff, the good and the bad, the sheep and the goats, those on the right and those on the left, the good fishes and the rejects, the builder on the rock and the builder on the sand, the ready and the unready, the faithful and the unfaithful, the children of God or children of the devil. And all these comparisons that Kauffman makes here, there is no third option. Only righteousness or unrighteousness. Whether or not and how much I love the brothers will obviously put me in one class or the other. And we need to be careful, we don't think otherwise. He who hates his brother is called a murderer. This is from Vines Dictionary. He who hates his brother is called a murderer. For the sin lies in the inward disposition of which the act is only the outward expression. Mark 7, 21 says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, and murders." Ephesians 6, Not with eye servants as men pleasers, but bond servants of Christ, Doing the will of God from God from the heart. So love or hate for my brothers and sisters will come from within my heart. And there will be an outward indication that makes it obvious what's in my heart. Verse 15 Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. The word hate here seems to be stronger because it's, it's equated to murder. It doesn't take the physical act. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about a man looking lustfully at a woman and already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the same principle applies here. It doesn't take the physical act of murder, just hate. Now look at the last part of verse 13. Speaking of evil, of the evil of hate versus love. He said, those who hate have no eternal life. So serious. John finishes this section with a very strong example of Christ, how he laid down his life for us, and we should lay down our lives for the brethren. Look at verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. Whoever has this worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? So again, it's a heart problem. And again, a a, a little quote from Kaufman. He says, a stingy Christian is a contradiction of terms. Think about that. A stingy Christian is a contradiction of terms. There's no one, there's no use in one's imagination that he has the kind of love that would give up a life or a brother if the countless opportunities of aiding those in distress find no adequate response from him. In a practical sense, no Christian can excuse himself from the full compliance with the holy commandment in a matter like this. We show our love by what we do for others. That's what he says in verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't just tell yourselves and others you have love for the brothers. Show it by your deeds that you're a child of God or a child of the devil. Make it obvious by your actions. And I have to insert Matthew 6 verse 1. It says, take heed that you don't do your terrible deeds before men to be seen by them. We make our deeds obvious because they're coming from the heart. It's not to get the praises from men. So the serious question of priorities makes this perhaps a difficult command for us to follow. Yet it's one that all of us must follow and obey. 1 John 3, verse 23 now. This is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. We mentioned in the introduction that there we have commandments from Christ which we're to keep. This is one of them. This is his commandment. Two items. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's faith. Think about Mark 16, 16. The second part is Love. And it's the exact expression we're looking at tonight. Love one another. Remember from our previous section, this love is demonstrated in action. We love as he commanded us. We love as he loved us. We're willing to sacrifice whatever is needed for our brothers and sisters. Moving to chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. One who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We'll continue with verse 9 in just a minute. But let's look at one of the most profound and wonderful statements in all the scripture. It's what we sing about tonight. God is love. John 3.16, for God so loved us, that's God's love in action. If he so loved us, we have to love one another. No one's ever seen God. So we can't love like love the brothers and not see and not having seen God. This God's love is an inherent attribute of God then this is where we learn love, how to love. Verse nine, by this is the love of God was revealed in us that God has sent his son, only son to the world that we may live through him in this love, not that we loved him, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. For our purposes tonight, all this about God's love and what he's done for us and sending Jesus, his son, to die for us, all of it comes down to what's in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God showed us his bountiful love And the greatest sacrifice ever made. And because of this, if we are truly his children, not just in word, but also in deed, we must, must love one another. Moving down to verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister. He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother and sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. God loves mankind, He loves us. And this, this love preceded the entire plan of salvation. And even more, it preceded even the existence of the earth itself. God first loved us. And such love. Like God's love for us, flows from the nature of the lover and not from the worthiness of the one loved. Think about that. Think about God's love for us versus our worthiness. The great redemption purpose of God in Christ is that of making children like Himself. Therefore, not to love is to negate our own redemption. After God's love and giving His Son for us, it would be outrageous for us not to love. And in verse 21, we have it again stated in a command form. This is the commandment we have from Him that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. You cannot love God and not to love the person sitting across the aisle from you. It's totally inconsistent. Moving to chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves a father loves a child born of him. By this we know we love the children of God and we love God and follow his commandments. Jesus told his apostles in John 14 verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. These two verses, this one and that one, are similar. If we love God... Number one, we follow his commandments. And number two, it will be obvious or manifest by the love we have for his children, our brothers and sisters. I don't think we could even start closing up a, a, a lesson like this without thinking about Jesus' own words from Mark chapter 12. Where he answered the scribe who asked him the question. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. With all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment than this. But love is not just a first John topic. Let me read you a few verses. Scattered through the New Testament. And this is certainly not exhaustive. Romans 12 be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor giving preface to one another. Romans 13, 8, owe oh, no one anything except to love one another. Galatians 5, 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Ephesians 4, listen to these words, with all lowliness and gentleness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another, and love. First Thessalonians 4, 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. 1 Peter 1. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and the sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And there are others we could use. So what have we talked about? Fellowship with God, with his son. Fellowship with one another, based on that fellowship with God and his son. It's when we keep his commandments. We love as I have loved you. We're the child of the God, of God or a child of the devil, based on how we love or hate our brothers and sisters. Love or hate comes from within the heart. We show our love by our actions. God is love. We love because he first loved us. We're not love because of our worthiness. We don't love other people because of their worthiness. It's a command, love God and love our brothers. I want to close with a Facebook post I saw from Tommy Peeler let me schedule you for a meeting here in two or three years. Quote, I want to know what love is, end quote. I want to know what love is. One song says, What is love? Listen to the way we talk and write and sing. Love is described as a feeling, an elusive emotion, a romantic attraction, a strong physical desire. Love involves more than how we feel. Love is demonstrated by what we do. Love is determined, a determined desire to help, to serve, to bless, to do good to another. Love is willing to sacrifice oneself for another's good. Love is not always easy to define in words, but it has been demonstrated. We know this, that he laid down his life for us. This love was shown by one who could have stopped his own execution at any moment. However, he willingly laid down his life for others. The crowds had pursued him, begging him to heal their sick. But they turned against him and demanded his death. He was despised and rejected by men He was beaten, tortured, and killed in the most horrible way imaginable. He was insulted and taunted even as he died this miserable death. Yet in spite of all this, he kept loving. Father, forgive them, they do not know what they're doing were some of his last words. You want to know what love is? This is love. He showed us how to love. How much do you love God? How much do you love your brothers and sisters? If you're not a Christian, you don't love God enough. You need to put your love into actions. You need to think about what he's done for you, what we just read about, the great sacrifice was made for you that you might be one of his children, a child of God, a child of light, not walking in darkness. If you have some need tonight that we can help you with, we invite you to come to the front as we stand the scene.